0: Hey, my go-getters, Christy here. Welcome to the Measy Muse Unplugged podcast. We've got an amazing show lined up for you today. If this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. The Meezy Muse Unplugged podcast is produced every other Friday for your enjoyment. Show information as well as any links shared on today's episode can be found at www.mecmuse.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed, SoundCloud, or iTunes. You can also follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Just search for Christy Lindor or check out my blog at www.christylindor.com. Have a question about consulting? Would like to be a guest on the show? We would love to hear from you. Drop us a line at unplugged at gmail. That's unplugged at gmail. Now let's get on with today's show.
1: Now, tuned in to the Macy Muse Unplugged, a pop up podcast variety show helping consultants along their journey to greatness with your host, management consultant, author, and blogger, Christy Lindor.
0: Welcome to today's show. So, with our episode today, we're going to do a segment I call AMA Ask Me Anything. Essentially, for those that are new to the show, it is virtual fireside chats where I have an opportunity to connect with other seasoned consultants that share their journey in the profession and just catch us up to, you know, on what they are currently doing. I also had a mentee of mine reach out to me yesterday. She's got a big presentation coming up and want some tips. And I'm going to ask today's guest to weigh in on on ways we can help her. So with that, I have the utmost pleasure of chatting with Natalie today. So Natalie, thank you so much for making time to connect with me and being on the CMU's Unplugged. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're super excited to have you. And so before I get started, if you can maybe just give everyone a quick introduction of who you are and a little bit about, about your consulting background.
2: Sure. So, I'm based in the New England area. I work for a big four consulting firm for almost four years, mostly in the strategy and operations space, the specific focus around health industries. I worked with clients from the pharmaceutical space, hospital, and health insurance. And it was mostly around strategy and operations. I had some subject matter expertise in customer experience, particularly in the area of digital Digital strategy and how to reach customers and engage customers and consumers digitally through e-health and mobile solutions. My academic background, I have an MBA MPH from UNC Chapel Hill, and the public health degree was in health policy and management. So that really fueled a lot of my interest and informational background in the healthcare space.
0: Awesome. Um, awesome. And, and where did you do your
2: undergrad again? I did my undergrad at Wellesley College, um, okay, and then I had a few years between that and grad school where I got some experience in.
0: Sounds like you've got a, a great background. You know what's interesting? I knew you did healthcare work. I don't think I knew it was in the customer experience or the the digital space. So that's that's actually sounds like pretty exciting work.
2: Yeah, it was really exciting, pretty cutting edge because you know digital is very new. And when I was in the consulting, it was at a time where people companies were trying new things within social media, within the mobile space and building apps. And my firm had recently acquired another firm that specialized in the design piece and of mobile applications. So we got to do a lot of partnering together. So it was a a very exciting opportunity to learn.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that that sounds great. And I know you mentioned, you know, between like Wellesley and, you know, UNC Chapel Hill You did a little bit of a broad work. Maybe you can just share because I think that's a unique perspective that you probably brought to your consulting experiences. Maybe you can share a little bit about that.
2: Sure. So between undergrad and grad school, I worked for a nonprofit for about a year. It was focused on domestic volunteer service, and it kind of increased my desire to serve myself. But I wanted, I always wanted to do international work. My major at Wellesley was international relations and Africana studies. And when I first graduated, I had applied to all of these NGOs and international development organizations, but they said I didn't have enough experience. So I said, how am I going to get experience without getting experience? So I joined the Peace Corps and I served in Southern Africa and Zambia for three and a half years. And that was where I started my health focus. I was one of the first groups of what's called PEPFAR volunteers, stands for President's Emergency Plan for Age Relief. It was George Bush's kind of big initiative in sub-Saharan Africa to fight HIV AIDS. So all the work I did was around HIV prevention, counseling and testing. I worked in a rural area for a couple of years and then had an opportunity to have a leadership role in the central location in the capital city of Lusaka, which really brought out Management experience, and I was able to translate that into things that the business world could understand because it's a very non traditional background or set of experiences. So I had to learn how to communicate those and tell stories around those that were relatable to get into my MBA program as well as to get into consulting.
0: Yeah, man, that is, you know, that's just such meaningful work. And I'm so glad that you had those experiences. You know, when you think about the the years you spent in your before like, consulting work, how were you able to to make that transition? I know you talked about NGOs wanting more experience, but how how did you kind of you know determine that like consulting was was kind of the way? And and then how did you navigate from kind of that Peace Corps to you know consulting? And, and it, I think it was the 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 chronicle the chronological was undergrad Peace Corps and then grad school, right? And then consulting, right?
2: Okay. Right. And okay. so one of the things I, you know, in my towards the end of my Peace Corps experience in the last year and a half or so is when I was working in the capital city and I was engaging a lot with the national government in Zambia and leadership and different NGOs. So I was sitting at round tables with country directors from some of the top NGOs around the world and the challenges that they were facing and the things that they were coming up against that the things that were written down in their programs were all around like kind of the business side of the work, like finances, they would run out of mm-hmm. funding. They weren't being you know, efficient with the funding that they had. So their projects would run out of money before they were completed. They were public health practitioners, professionals and great leaders and visionaries, but their management acumen wasn't always up to par or able to kind of deal with those solutions and so deal with those challenges. And so I thought that's what started to get me thinking about, you know, maybe I should look at the business side of of the work as well. And how Mm -hmm. can I learn the skills to best operate an, an NGO or an international organization in a way that's efficient and that can make it be more sustainable. And so instead of pursuing just a public health degree as I had originally planned, I decided to do both the MBA an MSPH. And I always had this idea in the back of my mind, like after I get my experience, I think the private sector was the best place to get the experience because businesses are the best place to learn how to run a business. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, the nonprofit space and the NGO world has a lot that it can learn from the business space. And so after doing that and having that exposure, I decided to go forward with that in the business school on the business school side. Okay.
0: Okay, no, that's fascinating. And I, I really like and I think your your choice for consulting to kind of help fill that gap, you know, on top of, you know, having the MBA, I think was a that was a great transition. Maybe you can share a little bit about, you know, kind of what you experience coming from that that background. And then the, you know, the years you spent in in big four consulting, maybe share a little bit about kind of what you learned.
2: Sure, I think one of the reasons like You could learn business from a lot of different types of businesses, and I think one of the things consulting gives you that's unique to other businesses is an opportunity to learn and really take deep dives into, you know, problems that a lot of companies face. A lot of companies face problems, and a lot of them are similar across the board. So as you do more and more projects and engagements, you'll find kind of a a theme, kind of similarity across And as you, you know, take different approaches, depending on who you're working with and your leadership or the partner that you're working with on solving those issues, it can really strengthen your ability to problem solve and to develop strategies that are attainable. One of the things about consulting as well is, you know, they say one year in consulting is like equivalent of three years in
1: in industry.
2: And I knew I, I didn't want to be in the private sector for so, so long. I had this desire to get back to the international work and bring those skills with me. So I thought consulting would be a good opportunity to get a lot of diverse experience without having to spend as much time investing in building that up. And I definitely got a lot of that. It's also diversity of experience in terms of not having to do the same thing every day for right. you know month after month, year after year. I never got tired. I never lost interest. And if I did lose interest, I had an end date of a project and I knew I would be doing something different. So that was very desirable as well.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you on the things are never boring. That's that's for sure. (laughs) Well, you know, given given the time that you, you spent in consulting, what would you say, Natalie, is your definition of a great consultant?
2: My definition of a great consultant. I think consulting takes a lot of patience and flexibility. So a great consultant is someone who is flexible. Someone has who has the capacity to tolerate and endure delay, uncertainty, sometimes even suffering without getting angry about it. You know, you kind of learn how to keep your cool, and you will yeah. find that as you go up and up further and leadership, you know, associate to manager to to senior manager, I feel like people get better and better at keeping their cool and not showing emotion and just focusing on the problem, not the people, not getting overwhelmed by whatever situation you come across. So that's one thing. I also think, you know, a great consultant is confident, but maintains humility, is a team player, a great listener, and also a good communicator. And lastly, has a level of authenticity in who they are that enables them to build trust within their team and especially from the client.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, I think you, you nailed a lot of, you know, the different kind of definitions that I, I I've heard. And, and I think what, what was interesting for many newbie consultants to hear is that, you know, being a great consultant doesn't mean that you're, you know, it's not about the technical skills that I think a lot of people think are important. And and while, yes, they are important it to deliver work. It is to...
2: technical as well. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing Yeah,
0: but it's more than just that, I think is the thing that sometimes people are, are kind of surprised about. So I think you really, you did a really nice job of providing that. You talked I about teaming. Say,
2: oh yeah, go go for it, go for it. Just gonna add one more thing. I would say everyone who gets a consulting job has a level of technical skill. That's why I called it baseline you know and Mm. some level of acumen and but the people who make a difference the people who are able to get promoted to build the trust of their peers and really become successful and last long in consulting are the people who have the softer skills and the the ability to build those relationships so it's a very it's a balance between technical and human and relationship building yeah well said
0: well said for sure so kind of doing a slight pivot, I know you talked about teaming and wanted to ask you if you can maybe share a quick story on what you felt was like your best team experience in consulting and then, you know, what you, you know, felt in your mind was your worst experience. And the second part of that question is, you know, what did you believe you, you know, you learned in, in both scenarios?
2: Hmm, okay. Part with the worst, maybe. The worst example of teaming, I think, and it was an interesting project with the potential to be great. It always comes down to people for me. So this is Mm -hmm. the people, the teams that I work with, and you know we had very capable people. You know, I was at a junior level, and there was another person at a junior level who was very strong and capable and technical, technically sound, And, and then we had a manager that was between us and the director, partner level, and the manager was quite incompetent. And I'm saying it that way, because there's just no other way to put it. And so (laughs) (laughs) it would have been okay if, you know, he was incompetent and then just kind of stepped aside and allowed us to do the work that we needed to do to get the project done. But it was like, it was incompetent, but having no knowledge of, of that and. It's so hard to prove his manager status, I feel like to the detriment of the team. For example, you know, he would not give credit to anybody for the work that we did. Like we basically did all the work and grinded and, you know, he would take it as his own and report it to the director. He would be quick to throw people under the bus if anything went wrong. It just wasn't, there was a lack of trust. Like we, I felt like I couldn't trust this person and it was hard to grow and, and enjoy the experience on the team because it was always kind of navigating, you know, how do I demonstrate my worth and my capabilities when, and he kind of blocked access to the leadership as well. Mm. so, So it was just a really kind of oppressive situation to be in, but I didn't want to match the bad behavior and you know, try to go around him, and I think that sometimes makes matters worse. Just kind of tough it out, do the best that you can, and try to make sure the work speaks for itself that you can get through that. yeah, that was kind of the bad example and then the best example I had was also people related also working with a manager, but well, I guess it was a it was he was a director, so it was kind of a smaller team, and he was very. Clear and precise in what he was looking for, and setting the vision for the team. He had a background of like a structural, an infrastructure engineer. He was like a, had a technology background, so he had this ability to draw things out in whiteboards that really made you feel crystal clear. So when you walked away, you knew what the goal was and how to get there, but still gave you enough room to be creative and bring your own piece to the table. He never took credit. He always he was very help his he had humility, one of the best consultant, you know, great consultant definition items I mentioned earlier. And so, you know, he would as much as he could make sure that the partner, and there was more than one partner on this project, saw the work that we were doing at a junior level, you know, and and it gave us more encouragement and enthusiasm to do even better work. Like I wanted I desired to do the best work that I could to support this person in their leadership and support this project because I just had a positive experience. He allowed of direct access to the client and mm-hmm. my engagement. It was just a very, very inspiring and, you know, well-linked team to be on. And there was a lot of trust and there was a lot of confidence in each other. And everybody was really competent. <laughs> Yeah. That hope as well. So for me, it's just people, I think, you know, but you can't allow a bad manager. You'll always have a bad manager that comes along every now and then. You can't let it break you. So even with my bad manager story, we still delivered a great client deliverable at the end of the engagement. It just wasn't as enjoyable a journey as, you know, the good people stories. Right. But at the end of the day, it's all about the client delivering good work. So...
1: This episode is brought to you on behalf of the Mesi Muse. 100 plus selected practices, unwritten rules, and habits of great consultants, a book by Christy Lindor. Written in the voice of a mentor, the Misi Muse provides insights on the unwritten rules of great consultants, a perfect read for new or aspiring consultants. Christy dives into her 15-plus years of consulting experience while sharing interviews and anecdotes from over 50 consulting partners and leaders that represents thought leadership from 80% of the top 10 consulting firms in the world. Pre-sale begins shortly. Sign up at www.macymuse.com. Well said, well said. It sounds like you've been
2: in, in consulting a lot longer than four years. I think it might be because I did a good job of not getting pigeonholed. And mm-hmm. So sometimes, and I think that also helped me get promoted a little bit quicker because I was able to get a diverse set of experiences because I did a lot of strategy and the customer experience piece. Those projects were shorter. So, yeah, you know, beyond a few months at a time. And so I got a lot of different experiences and access to different people and they were usually kind of the interesting, quote-unquote, sexy projects that people wanted to be on. And once you get exposed on a couple of them and you do good work, then more people are looking for you. And it's usually the, the people that you want to work with. And so I think that just gave me more more experience than I would have had if you know I was on an operations project for like a year. Right. I did that as well, which was very tough for me. Yeah, but
0: that's good. You got both sides, though, you know, to see kind of, you know, because I think, you know, even though to your point, usually when people come into consulting, I think the mental map of what consulting is, is those strategy, short term sprint type products. But there's something about the muscle that you build on the longer term marathons, I call them, right? There's a muscle And and there's a deeper relationship that you can build with your clients and your team. And so to me there's pros and cons to both, you know?
2: And it's it's good to
0: have both, you know.
2: Yeah, I would agree. On the long project example, one of the great things about that experience is it was the team was a lot bigger. It was like a team of thirty people. And so that was actually what got me in position to be promoted because I was Mm. people within the team. So I did all these small projects and then they finally got me on the, one of these long projects. It was, But it was still cutting-edge work. It was, I think I can mention around, like, the Affordable Care Act and starting to implement right. that with one of the insurers. And so it was stuff that I had studied in my program, and so I brought kind of a unique aspect to the table. And I not only had management experience or exposure within the consulting team, but also with the client because it was like a project management piece. So I had client folks reporting to me on some levels as well. So it was a very, very good and rich experience. Mm-hmm. And having that amount of time with it really gave me a great case for, you know, promotion. So I do think there's good things in long projects as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. So so fast forward, you've had all these great experiences. You know, you have like that NGO background I know you've recently transitioned out of consulting. Maybe you can share with you know our listeners what kind of drove that decision and and how you know. In looking back, you know we talked earlier about you know how NGOs prepared you for consulting. So looking back now, how has consulting prepared you for this recent transition?
2: I would definitely say consulting prepared me more for the NGO world, and then vice versa. I think in the beginning, the NGO world kind of prepared me in a way that, you know, in terms of learning how to manage projects, but understanding the challenges and what I needed to learn from consulting. And then I went into consulting and I kind of built up those different skill sets, you know, on the financial side, on the strategy and operation side, like building roadmaps, you know, getting from A to B on the project management side. Project management, program management is critical in the NGO space in the international space. So I did, I had a lot of that experience within consulting. I think that, as I mentioned before, it was always my intent to kind of circle back and mm-hmm. pursue a career in international development. And I think I was just ready to make that move. You know, consulting is a cyclical field. It's always kind of up and down. You have times where partners are selling a lot of projects and it's growing, and then you have times where it's contracting. I think I kind of decided to step out of the contracting period. I I wasn't at risk, as far as I knew, for losing my job, but there's a few folks around me. You know, th- it was starting to shift that way. And so I also had this kind of desire to to do more, like this insatiable hunger for helping the global community and getting back to that side of the work. And so... I decided it was a good time to move and and I had an opportunity to move into a role that where I could contribute to saving lives around the world and so I'm doing that and I intend to do it for you know keep it up for as much time as possible although I would consider going back to consulting because I definitely have a great experience and there's still a lot that I can learn I think this is a good kind of stepping stone In my organization You know, although it's a nonprofit, it's an internationally focused nonprofit. It it's kind of like a consulting organization, but for international governments. Like we work with governments on supply chain for health commodities. We work on you know training and capacity building, helping governments develop strategies for you know increasing uptake of different healthcare commodities to fight specific diseases, depending on what the disease challenges are in their particular country. It's a really exciting space to be in. And we are kind of advisors in that space. So I kind of call on a lot of my consulting skills anyway. A lot of the people who work for this particular nonprofit are former consultants or have come from the private sector at different stages. There's also people from academia. But I think it's a great use of the skill set that I've learned. So yeah, it's been pretty cool. I've been able to travel in a short amount of time all over the world. Yeah. Pretty exciting. I know
0: when you made the transition, I felt like every time I was speaking to you or here you know, texting or emailing, you were always in a different country. So maybe just can you share like what in the in the like last, you know, I don't know if it's been a year yet since you've transitioned, but since you've transitioned, how many Oh, has it been almost two years? Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that long. List like all the countries you've been to since. It's
2: pretty remarkable. (laughs) Oh, I wrote it down one day. Let me think. I'm going to backtrack for a minute and answer one of your questions before. Another great thing about the transition, and a lot of times when people transition from consulting, they're able to transition to roles with a lot more responsibility. So I probably kind of had a double promotion, if Mm. you will. You know, coming from consulting into this nonprofit based on my experience and my background and all that. So that's something I look forward to. In terms of countries, okay, recently uh, I was in Geneva for a meeting. I've been to this year Cambodia, Kenya, Zimbabwe. And last year, Indonesia, Uganda, Ethiopia, South Africa, Zambia, Kenya, I did twice. I feel like that might be all okay, it just yeah. might be you know all words, I have to do it. I planned <laughs> on vacation. that's not a low middle income country, so that wasn't working <laughs> yeah, that was fun. this has been my most traveled year, like last twelve months in my life, I think, and I've traveled quite a bit in my life i I counted thirty thirty or thirty or thirty three countries that I've visited in my lifetime, so that a lot of them happened in the last twelve months.
0: That's pretty impressive. And of all the places you've been in the last like 12 months, like which would you say was like your favorite like place as a, you know, coming in for a business trip? I know like business and personal trips are very different, but what was your favorite business trip and why?
2: Uh, Oh, I think it's a tie between Nairobi, Kenya and Indonesia. Indonesia was excellent because it was the summer and so my husband's a teacher and he was able to come and join me. So we extended Mm -hmm. the trip for a weekend in Bali, and Bali is the most amazing paradise place I have ever, no, I think we have ever (laughs) visited. It was such a tease because I I had to go back to work so I couldn't stay that long, but it's definitely a place you want to go back to, and it's just so different from anything we'd ever experienced. It's kind of similar to Thailand, but... It's just, it has the best of everything from mountain climbing to whitewater rafting to beach to eat, pray, love, you know, meditation, peaceful thing, everything you could think of. And then Nairobi, Kenya, because I have, I had friends there. I mean, Kenya is just an exciting place to visit. It's bustling Nairobi, is a bustling city. You have a lot of the conveniences of the Western world, but still the richness of the culture. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed that as well
0: nice nice like just hearing you it's just fabulous fabulous life <laughs> so thank you thank you for sharing and my last question for you so given you know you've been in consulting you've had it sounds like a, a really kind of lucrative exit opportunity doesn't mean you won't come back probably maybe what advice would you give to new or inspiring consultants if you were if you had someone coming to you as you know looking or mentorship, like, what advice would you give them
2: on the profession? I would say be flexible, but also don't wait for things to fall in your lap. Like, pursue your aspirations mm. aggressively, but tactfully, of course. You know, the, a lot of the things that I was able to do in the projects I was able to get on because I was on my grind all the time. Like, I would do my work, but I would be networking at the same time and reaching out to the people I really wanted to work with who were doing the coolest projects and to demonstrating value and saying this is what I can do and this is what I want to do if you so give them the opportunity so people knew what, who I was. So make sure people know who mm-hmm. you are. And mm-hmm. don't be afraid to sell yourself a little bit, especially as a woman. I think women are less likely to sell themselves and put themselves out there than men. Men are always boasting. Yeah. You know, They came from the high school football field where they boasted on the field and women are like reserved and they don't want to be seen as X, Y, Z, but you have to put yourself out there and, and show up and show out. I would say always keep your resume updated because you'll be interviewing for the rest of your career if you're a consultant. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and record your stories, you know, as a supplement to your resume. Like I had a spreadsheet where like when you learn how to interview in business school, they or in probably other places as well. They say, you know, look at the context of your situation, your experience the activity or the contribution that you made and then the result the CAR or the STAR method. And So I tried to write mm-hmm. those things down after each project while it was fresh so that I can, you mm-hmm. know, tell compelling stories around it and that helped me so when I, you know, I ran into a partner in the elevator or I got somebody on the phone and they asked me, you know, what I've done, I had these kind of bright and, you know, brief but to the point stories to tell. And then the last thing I would say is try not to make any enemies. Treat everyone, your clients, and colleagues with respect because the consulting industry is very small and ever being recycled. And so you'll find you run into people. Even though you get off a project, you can see that person again. If you shift consulting firms, you can see that person again. You know, at the next consulting firm, people are always being traded like in the NBA. Hey,
0: Go-Getters! Have feedback on today's show, questions on consulting, want to be a guest? We'd love to hear from you. Just drop us a line at unplugged at gmail. That's mecmuseunplugged at gmail.com. You can also show us your support by downloading episodes, spreading the word to friends and family, or leaving us a review. Remember, Me C. Muse Unplugged is a pop-up podcast, which means we'll stick around as long as we continue to hear from you. Thank you for your support. Now back to today's show.
2: <laughs>
0: no. yeah, oh, it gets smaller out. and smaller, the world. The consulting world gets smaller and smaller the higher you go up. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Now I think that is very well-spoken, really good advice. I actually like the idea of, you know, use, like taking a moment to reflect after a project and, and you know, like you said, using that star, that star method to, to capture it and kind of have your elevator pitch. I think that's a really good takeaway. So, so thank you for sharing that with our listeners. Well, this was great. You provided so much insights. That's all I had for the interview, but as I mentioned before, I let you go. Mm-hmm. I do have that dilemma. One of my mentees have reached out to me about, would you be willing to help me give her some guidance as well? Sure. I'll give a try. Okay. So Katie is my mentee's name. She sent me an email and, you know, she said, Christy, I've got, you know, I've got my first you know senior leadership meeting where she's got a lot of partners that are in her practice that are going to be attending this meeting and this is her first kind of stretch opportunity she is you know really fairly young fairly kind of at the at the staff and or the analyst level and so she was asking you know obviously she's she's documenting her talking points and you know doing her research for this presentation but she asked you know what what are some tips or things that she should look for or consider doing in preparation to kind of come off, you know, really credible with the senior group of, of partners. So given your, your background, and, you know, I, I know you do a number of different, like, presentations with different organizations, and I'm sure with, you know, the C-suite executive levels of different organizations, Natalie, what advice would you give her?
2: I would say know your audience as much as possible. So, you know, with leaders, I like to do a uh kind of, if LinkedIn or and sometimes consulting firms will have internal things, you can actually find people's resumes and see, figure out who's going to be in the room, what are they interested in, what have they worked on before, and how can you be relatable in whatever you intend to, to deliver in your talk. And try to create a compelling story around that. I think sometimes at the analyst level, you know, where you're you're often focused on research or finding all the data points to support an argument, you might get caught up in the details, but I encourage her to take a step back and think about all the information that you have and what is the story that can be told with that information. And bring it up like 10 feet to a high level where people can understand and relate to the story you're telling. I encourage you to have a rich appendix with all of that data because sometimes there are partners who are undercover analysts <laughs> that will ask you for, you
1: know, little bit
2: little, little data points and details so you want to be able to back your stuff up. But for the most part, I find that, you know, having less is more. You know, yeah. it's okay to have white space on the slide, actually preferable, and making sure what you're saying is, is meaningful, and then the me piece, you know, mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive, you know, way of getting there. Yeah, I think if you know who's in the room and you try to speak to their interests, incorporate their interest in the story that you're telling, you'll do well. And then on the, you know, smile and take a deep breath. Yeah. Um, I think before you go into, like, your heart rate will change sometimes, and you'll you know, it sometimes it just helps to give yourself – go in the bathroom and take, like, five to ten, slow, deep breaths and bring your heart rate down. And just remember that all of those partners in the room, you know, they poop the same way you do when they go to the bathroom. They're only human. <laughs> <laughs> I actually tell myself that when I'm, like, speaking to big deal people. I'm like, these people are human. They have the same bodily functions as I I do. They just had a different (laughs) set of opportunities and a different journey. I might get there tomorrow too. So don't separate yourself that far, you know, speak to them as they're your future peers because they probably will be.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. I think that that's really, really good advice. And I think the only thing I'm going to add, because I feel like you covered most of the points that I would have shared with Katie, I think, I would just add like a couple, like two more points in, I like to prepare. So in addition to having the talking points, I think it's, you know, rehearsing it, whether you're rehearsing it in front of a colleague, a manager, or even if you have nobody around recording it with your phone. So kind of just putting your phone up somewhere and just, you know, hitting record, recording it, and then watching yourself, you know, play it
2: back. That's a good idea. I've done that before.
0: yeah, doing that a couple times because, but you know, you want to make sure by the time, like, you know, you get in front of the partners, that's like the the twelfth or fifteenth time that you've you've mm-hmm. said that spiel. It's not the first, so but, by that time, you've built a little bit of a memory muscle, and you you know what you're talking about. You've, like you said, you've got the data to back it up. You've got the I call the back pocket slides. You've got that, but you know what you're talking about, and you come off more confident.
2: And I think that's the biggest part. Yeah, right. I would add to that a little bit. Like, if you could do a video, and if you know how your setup is going to be. If you're going to be standing, if you're going to be sitting at the table, yep. you're going to be standing, especially. You know, do it, when you do the video, do it of you standing, and not only pay attention to how you sound and and what you say, but pay attention to your what you do with your hands, your feet. That's one of the things I learned in communications class business school. Sometimes we do distracting things with our hands when we're nervous. Mm-hmm. So make sure you find a place for your hands so that you can control them so that they can focus on what you're saying. And then the other thing that you brought to my memory that I should have mentioned is have somebody look over your your document for you, your desk. If Christy is your mentor, then you should definitely ask her. She's very good at it.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> that was actually my point number two. So thank you for bringing that up. Is <laughs> It's all about the socialization. And so I know for me, what I like to do, and I don't know if you'll have time, Katie, I think you mentioned it's in a couple of weeks or in a week, but you know, when I have a a presentation, if I know, like you said, if you know, you know, you said, Natalie, know who's in the room, if you know who's in the room and you somehow have access to them in some way, go ahead and schedule a pre-meeting and socialize the content with them because there's nothing like having a cheerleader in the room that's already seen the material, knows the points, and can either back you up. If some of the partners are asking questions, you know, they, you know, they can kind of back you up a little. Definitely. Or they you, you got that agreement up front. So I like to, I mean, my kind of rule of thumb, I like to, as much as I can, go into meetings where it's just, I call it the nodding of the heads. That's the change management mm-hmm. in me. I want to make sure, like, this is not the first time that they're hearing this idea. Because it can get torn apart if they've never heard of it before. And this mm-hmm. is their first reaction to it. Even if it's mm-hmm. amazing, you know, you understand people are going to want to, you know, kind of test it out a little. So the more you have time to kind of, you know, flesh it out, socialize it, come in the room, it's a nodding of the heads. It's, they've already heard it at least once. It goes a long way.
2: Yeah. And I mean, one more thing uh, on the point of nodding of the heads, you know, if there's a way to make it interactive. Yes. And one of the simple ways to do it is putting in questions, questions that you know most likely will cause a nodding of the head. And when you start that nodding when, you know, people are in agreement with you in the beginning as you you break out when you get into your point, it sometimes it's easier to keep that nodding going throughout because they've already connected with the question and the yep. intended answer before you've gotten deeper into the topic area.
0: Absolutely. Well, with that, I think Katie, you will have a really smashing success with your presentation. I think with yes, you will. what we shared. Well, Natalie, it was a pleasure. I know you are a busy woman, and I really appreciate you taking time to come and and do the interview and connect with our listeners. Thank pleasure you so much. my, Thanks again. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And go getters, if you you know have a career dilemma, have a question about consulting, or Want to be a guest on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Just drop us a line, unplugged at gmail.com. Again, that's messymuseunplugged at gmail.com. Again, I want to thank Natalie and till next time. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. This pop-up podcast was inspired by my upcoming book, The Messi Muse: 100 plus Selected Practices, Unwritten Rules, and Habits of Great Consultants. I have people ask me over the last year many questions about this book, but the one question that comes up constantly is, Christy, you have such a demanding career. How did you find time to write this book? And honestly, the answer is simple. I really sought to become the mentor that I wish I had earlier in my career. In the beginning of my career, I didn't have many mentors, um, mental maps of what success really looked like, and I really struggled with that in, in a lot of different ways. But what's nice about struggles is that I overcame them, I grew stronger, more competent, and I'm so excited where I am today in my career. I, I just wanna share you know, what I've learned and be able to help you. And so I wrote the book you know, with my years of experience, but I also had an opportunity an amazing opportunity to connect with over 50 or so consulting partners and leaders across the industry, sharing their stories, their antidotes, their resources on how you could be a great consultant yourself. So do me a favor, pick up your phone right now, go to www.mcnews.com. If you scroll down, you'll see a little box to sign up for uh, the book, pre-sale notification, go ahead and sign up for it. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback on uh, my book as well as the podcast. So thanks again for listening and here's to your journey to greatness.